Welcome back to another NBA solo news segment slash emergency pod here on the Duncan with Don podcast. My name is again Don Richard bringing you another one of these segments as we record more episodes with guests for this upcoming week. But did not want to wait for all the news that's been happening around the week. Did not want to spend another day not talking about some of these big, big headlines that are not only going to affect this NBA season uh, heading into the new year in 2022, but of course affecting everything going forward when it comes to heading into the All-Star break and eventually making it all the way down to the postseason. So again, we'll have longer, uh, more definitely in-depth episodes discussing hopefully a lot of these topics within the next week or so. But for now, I want to get right into all of what's been happening across the week for what seems like the last like seven to ten days here beginning with of course the elephant in the room this nba COVID outbreak among a lot of its different players a gajillion different teams have had a bunch of outbreaks within their own rosters culminating of course with this horrible magic nets game that as i'm taping this on sunday happened yesterday where they uh, both teams could combine field about 17 players now for context the max a team could hold is i believe 15 not including two-way guys so the dilution of a league is beginning, and there's a lot to unpack here. So the first thing of which is that as of a couple of days ago, there were 63 NBA players in the protocols, the health and safety protocols for the league, and 47 of them have been this month. And remember, we still have two more weeks in this month. So again, we're, in terms of the spread, it's huge. The other thing to keep in mind is that one, and if it's been one, there's probably more, of these cases have been the Omicron variant, this new highly contagious variant that everyone's been talking about in the news. This ultimately leads to a question, though, of like, what should the league do? Because there's two sides to this argument. The side, number one, is that, hey, we have an outbreak in our league and we need to do something about it. Do we revert back to the barbaric at times but very effective protocols of last year where it was like, hey, if you're a team and you're on the road, you can't go out, you can only have certain guests here, whatever. Or do we say the mindset that kind of like Miami Heat coach Eric Spolstra hinted at, which is that, hey, this COVID-19 virus at some point is going to be uh, endemic. It will no longer have, it will be always seasonal. It will always be here. And unless we actively pursue it and we still have some measures in place, people are still going to end up being okay. Because the, the issue with the NBA is that they just don't want to be liable for this. They're a company with a lot of players, a lot of moving parts. And especially when it comes to coaches and staff, a lot of those guys are in the high-risk category. They're above the 70 years old. You know, they have a couple of medical problems here or there. Whereas a lot of the NBA players, you know, they're in the middle of their athletic prime at, uh, you know, 19 to 35 years old. They're probably going to be less likely to be long-term affected by this virus. However, the issue we've seen here is that a lot of the players that end up being put in the health and safety protocol or finding out that they tested positive have almost always been asymptomatic, not being able to showcase any signs of symptoms with this virus. Now, why do I stress that? You look at a team like the Chicago Bulls, who has nine players in the, currently in the NBA's health and safety protocol. All nine of those players are asymptomatic which means that unless they actively tested for COVID, they were never going to find it, which means that there's probably a gajillion other teams that have players on the roster who maybe do have COVID, but because they're asymptomatic likewise, they're probably not going to be detecting it as easy as somebody who maybe has some of the symptoms of COVID-19. This ultimately, of course, culminates with 
this breaking news out of the National Football League where they said, hey, if you're a vaccinated player and you're not showing symptoms, we're going to consider you eligible to play any of the football games. We are going to not test, test, test. So in other words, they're going to zig what everyone zags when it comes to leagues and say, hey, unless you are symptomatic and either unvaccinated or vaccinated, we are going to assume things as normal. We cannot just keep doing this actively look for players to test and see if they end up positive because, of course, you're going to find a lot of players who, hey, we're already vaccinated. Hey, we're asymptomatic. Our body's more likely than not can handle this. It's not an anti-COVID ticket. It's just more of an, a reality check where the rules of, you know, 2020 and even earlier this year back in January and February simply do not apply anymore because the vaccination, of course. Now, a good amount of the population is vaccinated. The NBA is like 90 all the NHL, the NFL, and the NBA are all 95 minimum percent vaccinated. So all these leagues are protected to the best of their ability. Uh, you've noticed recently with this NBA season that there's been a bunch of players missing for non-COVID uh, illnesses. And that's code word for they got the booster shot and they aren't feeling well and they came back two days later. So uh, where am I getting at with all this? At some point, the NBA is going to have to move on and maybe make a decision if I don't know if they're ready for to say, hey, at some point, we need to just understand that this thing is going to be here forever. Remember, the flu has been a thing since like the 1900s. And even though it's still the flu, it's not as bad as it was when it was just killing a a bunch of people. Because like with many big picture viruses and big picture illnesses and pandemics and diseases at some point this thing can only kill so much even something like the black death dies out because even though it wiped out millions of people hey it can only kill so many people and likewise with covid it's gonna be the same i always stress this out because i i could see people saying like hey eight hundred thousand americans are dead thousands are dead of course across the world yeah we're not saying don't be safe but what we are seeing is that if there's professional sports leagues like this, where they have all the measures in place, and they're all vaccinated, and they're already taking precautions, at some point, if they're only testing and just getting a bunch of asymptomatic people, at some point, what's the deal? Now, you could argue morally, because I want to move on to some non-COVID stuff, because we got a lot of NBA news to talk about. One could argue that, hey... If a society like the United States, for instance, cannot deal with a pandemic like this, should we even have the luxury of having sports teams play like the NBA and the NFL? And I won't go into that, but it is an argument. The bottom line with all of this is that I am hoping within the next week or so, the NBA releases an updated protocol to fix this. Is it going the NFL approach of saying, hey... If you are vaccinated and you are not symptomatic, we are not going to test you for COVID. Because the thing is that it's not even that drastic. If you look at the NFL's policy, they say, hey, if you're still within close contact of an asymptomatic person, or pardon me, a symptomatic person who tested positive, then you're still going to have to get tested. So it's not, it's not even like that either. So the other thing that's weird about this is that what what we've seen now, especially as we try to transition back to a quote-unquote normal, is that always the different rules are conflicting with each other. So my favorite thing is that NBA players are subjected to all this testing, and they sometimes can't see certain people on the road, but yet they're playing in front of crowds of the thousands, who are ultimately not wearing masks and not following the health and safety guidelines that, that arena's influence, you know, implementing, pardon me. Those sorts of, you know counters with the rules makes things very of course complicated because it's like hey 
it just confuses the everyday American. That's the bottom line. So to, to put a synopsis on this, the NBA is going to need to release something and do something about this, whether it's addressing how they would deal with COVID going forward, whether it's fixing the testing criteria, whether it's implementing more restrictions. The bottom line is that we cannot keep going like this. The only good news I have out of all of this situation, or two good news, is that number one, because of the new rules with vaccination and vaccinated players, people are leaving the health and safety protocols earlier because as long as they test negative, I believe, twice in a row before a game, they're allowed to go play, which is super nice because before, remember the old days where it's like, oh, if you were even near the guy, you're out for 10 days and then we got to figure it out from there. That's changed. Number two, all these people are healthy and all good to go. And number three, if you look at the NFL, they're in, what, week 15 in an important regular season where every game matters, whereas the NBA, we're not even at the Christmas break yet. There's plenty of time between now and the playoffs to figure this out. Relative to any other league, the NBA, a game-to-game is not as valuable as, say, football. So... The NBA's got time to figure this out, but they ultimately do need to figure what they're going to do going forward. Now let's get into some of the more fun news because I always hate starting out with COVID, but it's an important issue. Let's get into some big, big injuries starting off with what's happening in New Orleans. Reports came out that Zion Williamson will be missing at least a good amount of time, probably another month, maybe even two, with complications regarding that foot injury that he had. If you recall, uh, a little bit of a tribute to the beginning of the season when Pelicans general manager David Griffin said that Zion would be ready to start the year. And I guess he forgot the word new because he might not be starting until the new year, which is very interesting. So Zion's out for at least another month, had to get an injection into his foot to like fix the bone healing, whatever that means. So that doesn't sound good for a player who weighs 300 pounds and relies on athleticism and who's had a series of knee and lower body body and foot injuries before. Uh, this complicates a lot of things. So for one, if you're Zion, you're not playing yet again. Your lack of availability has become a disability for the New Orleans Pelicans franchise. Uh, if you're in New Orleans right now, this season's a lost cause. Like Even with them playing not horribly as of late, they're still going to be always on the outside looking in. They're still kind of a bottom five team in the entire league, one can argue. They're better off if I were them shipping off Brandon Ingram or some contender that really needs them, maybe trading JV to somebody, Devontae Graham, and just bottoming out and trying to get a new franchise guy because I don't think Zion's it. I've said this now. I've said this in previous pods recently, and I've said this. I will say this going forward. I think Zion's days are numbered in New Orleans, no, unsurprisingly, but I would not be surprised if the Pelicans find a way to get rid of Zion quicker rather than later because I think he's turning into a very, very negative asset real quick. The flip side to this is, of course, hey, anything can happen in the league. We saw with a guy like Joel Embiid who was drafted with Philly how he missed two full seasons and then played 20-ish games of a third season and then took off from there. Maybe the same thing happens with Zion, but I, it's scary when you watch like you go onto Instagram and you see like old House of Highlights uh, plays or all-time plays from Zion in college when he was at Duke. And the difference in play style and athleticness and uh, the ability to just run and jump and move down the floor looks entirely different back then than it does now. I've seen this before with a lot of NBA players. Players who rely primarily on athleticism and do not have another 
skill set that they can go to always makes it a challenge to build around them. If you look at Zion's profile, even before all the injuries, he's this like six foot ten power forward who is an absolute truck in the paint and who can get you a lot of buckets. He can be easily a very awesome interior scorer. But he really doesn't have a position because I can argue that he wouldn't be good as a small ball five. He's the numbers have always been horrible with him as your kind of you know lead shot blocker and rim protector uh, in the interior. On the flip side though, I think he's just too big enough to be guarding small ball fours and playing uh, up to his size. So that makes it very hard because you need to have a certain team around Zion with quality defenders because Zion is another one of these you know offensive superstars that does horribly on defense despite having all the tools in the book. You need to have shooters around him because Zion is a is for not even he is a non shooter. He cannot make threes and he's not consistent with it. And if you look at his profile, if it's not the if it's not his athleticism, I just don't know where you're getting anything from Zion because he can't shoot. He can't defend. He's not a natural playmaker. Like, yes, if he has the ball in his hands, he'll pass it to off a double team. But he's not going to be, you know, uh, Giannis or Steph Curry studying, you know, the tone of the offense here. And other than the interior scoring and the dominance in the paint, he's got nothing on him. So we'll have to see where this moves going forward because it sounds like Zion won't be playing until maybe February. One can argue maybe it's an after the All-Star break type thing. And then I have a problem because if you're in New Orleans, like, hey, if this season sucks – What's the point in rushing Zion back? Because on the one hand, you rush him back, you can risk him maybe extending this injury or getting a new injury. On the flip side, though, if he ends up coming back, it's less games he has to play down the road. And it hurts your draft stock because he's going to probably help you win a couple games that you really don't want to win. And in this season where you're already, you were at one point worse than the OKC Thunder who have, don't really have an NBA roster right now, that's got to matter. So it'll be interesting what New Orleans does here. They've easily been one of the most dysfunctional franchises I can recall in the past decade. So we'll have to, again, be on the lookout for Zion's status. How about a former New Orleans Pelican, though? Anthony Davis, the other night, sprained his MCL against the Minnesota Timberwolves, is out at least a month. The, the timeline has been four weeks, so b- pretty big injury here for the LA Lakers. Again, we're kind of riding around that just above 500 to 500 range in the middle of this Western Conference blob of NBA teams where it's like nobody can really separate themselves outside of Golden State, Utah, and Phoenix, so... This this changes a lot. So for one, Russell Westbrook and LeBron James are going to have a lot more on their shoulders than they thought. LeBron has already had a lot on his shoulders because this team is yet again not really that good. Anthony Davis, another year where it's always this nagging injury or this kind of you know long term injury that affects him for a little bit. As much as I love the guy, the again availability is a disability in the NBA for better or worse, and it is so hard to build around a player when he's always has every game something happen, uh, you know, with like a, oh, he like hurt his ankle and then he's back in the game. Like at some point, this just gets to you, dude. Like it's going to start affecting your long-term health. And he's already kind of getting up there in age. He's already at like, what, 28 or 29. Like if this is happening in the middle of his athletic and overall basketball prime, who says this won't get even worse when he reaches his early to mid-30s? So... In terms of how this affects the Lakers, maybe we could see how this works where AD's not in the fold. And maybe it's just Westbrook and LeBron running this team and they can go, they can, you know, have a bunch of run, jump, and dunk bigs and, you know, can do pick and roll a bunch. And maybe, maybe this is a little, you know, 
hey, they're kind of low-key better without him than with them, at least just for right now until AD's fully, fully healthy. So we are, we're going to be on the lookout for this as we reach, especially the end of January and compare the Lakers record right now on December 19 to maybe on January 15 and see where that line reaches and how good or worse LA was without AD on the court. But regardless, they're not going to have AD for the foreseeable future. And we're really going to have to see how this affects this team moving forward. Uh, with that said, as we're recording this, we are officially four days after the official launch of trade season. So December 15 was kind of a, a big deal for the league uh, if you're a GM, in case you don't know what this means. Uh, on December 15th, a lot of players that teams sign are eligible to now be traded. If you recall in the collective bargaining agreement, there actually is a rule that says that, hey, if you sign a particular player, you have to at the bare minimum wait until this December 15 mark uh, before you can actually uh, make offers to teams and eventually ship them out if need be to another franchise. So now this is important because it is easier now, probably at least until the trade deadline, to make a roster move. And there's a lot to kind of unpack. In terms of off the top of my head, it's going to be interesting to see what this trade deadline ends up uh, becoming because there's two arguments to this uh, story. Argument number one is that we could see a lot of big moves. There's a lot of teams that need certain players. Those players are out there. And if teams can overpay for them, they're going to get those players. And when you consider that this year's free agency class is not necessarily the best, it's kind of like last year where there's like maybe one guy and that's kind of about it. If you're going to make an improvement, especially in the long term to this roster or to your roster, trades are going to be the move if it's not going to be through the draft, especially if you're a team kind of in the 11th seed to 4th seed range in your respective conferences. Argument two, however, which is one I've seen recently, is that, hey, yes, a lot of these teams need pieces, but they aren't willing to give up that much for said pieces. So, for instance, the trades we keep seeing with, like, oh, Indiana might look to move DeMontis Sabonis or Miles Turner, and, oh, Philly wants a mega offer for Ben Simmons. It's like, yes, they want to get rid of those guys, but they want a bunch in return, and the other teams are saying, hey, we want those guys, but we don't want to give you that much in return. So I, I'm going to kind of go on the record and say I think it'll be kind of by the middle. If I'm making a trade deadline prediction, there's going to be moves that happen. I think they'll really affect who – ends up being a key contender. I think there might be, honestly, like a Miami Heat 2019-20 Jay Crowder Iguodala move where a team doesn't necessarily get a superstar or even a quality role player, but just gets several guys who can be in an NBA rotation and help them out theoretically, whether it be to fulfill a need at a position, add depth behind a position, uh, provide insurance for maybe a superstar uh, with another guy, Something's going to happen. I, I, I predict there's probably going to be like maybe five to six, no more than seven, like well-known moves that are going to really shake things up. But it's hard because if you look at it, number one, this playing game makes a lot more teams at least interested in making the postseason, especially we've seen in past years when there was no playing game that if a team sucked and they were like the 12th seed, they were just going to bottom out. They were like, hey, we're going to like ship house, clean house, trade everybody, and then race to the bottom, whereas this playing game says, hey, we can get some fans in the stadium, we might be able to sneak into the playoffs despite being underwhelming, whatever. And number two, if you look at the standings outside of, you know, Utah, Phoenix, Golden State in the West, and in the East, I would argue Brooklyn, and then probably Milwaukee, and that's it. Every team is essentially right on top of each other when it comes to the standings. So 
every team's like, hey, I want your guy. Hey, I want this guy. But that team's also saying, hey, we're also in the same position equally as this other team. Why should we make a move and trade one of these guys? And then, of course, there's been the historical precedence where for the most part, because there's been, of course, always exceptions, but this is like a 99.9% of the time case. If a team trades an all-star or a top 15, 20 player or any big name guy, it's always hard to get equal value back for that one player. Like, I've never seen a world in which, you know, a team trades, even like the Pelicans this past year when they traded, then they traded Drew Holiday. It's like Drew Holiday, borderline all-star, arguably top 25 player. They just got back a bunch of draft picks and it's like, Milwaukee kind of ran away with that because Giannis is back on the team and now those picks get diluted and Drew Holiday has been the third best player on what's now a title team in Milwaukee. So again, it is hard to get a substantive good amount of value from teams looking to ship out anybody within the top 35 players in the league. So there's a lot to impact when the trade season comes. I'd argue that it'll probably be very, very quiet. We're going to hear constant rumors and rumblings and all these bullshit you know, trade machine ideas from now until February. And then once February kicks in, I feel like we're going to have a lot of moves kind of, again, right at like around 1.30 until that three o'clock deadline that we'll have to watch out for. So we'll see how this deadline plays out. But there's definitely going to be a lot of teams out there looking for some big moves. I would argue that there's going to be, you know, a, the buyout market will probably be very, very huge this year for teams that kind of strike out in the trade deadline. And we'll have to kind of go from there. Let's move on to some two notable players, Kyrie Irving and Klay Thompson, two members of those, you know, Golden State Cleveland Cavaliers rivalries from those NBA finals. The first of which is Kyrie Irving. The, the, the report out there that Kyrie is now going to be a part-time player for the Brooklyn Nets. He has not gotten vaccinated yet, uh, based on all the information out there. And he's only going to be eligible for the road games because, remember, at home, the state of New York has this mandate that you have to have the vaccine to be at any indoor sports arena or complex. So uh, according to uh, information released by the Nets organization, uh, I don't have it word for word verbatim, but they said along the lines of, hey, when you combine the fact that our players are dealing with a lot of COVID absences and when you combine the workload we are putting on some notable guys, which is code word for Kevin Durant, we feel it is in the best interest of the Nets organization and its players to bring Kyrie Irving back. A lot to unpack here. Number one is that uh, I do, I honestly do agree with the decision to bring Kyrie back when you consider from a basketball standpoint that I do not want the Nets to run Kevin Durant into the ground when you consider James Harden's slow start and Brooklyn low-key having not that deep of a roster from a talent perspective. Kyrie just juices up your offense. Uh, the underrated thing with Brooklyn is that they actually don't take many three-pointers and they don't have much shot creation outside of Katie and Harden. So now they actually have a third guy who can be that. Kyrie is always fun, of course, to watch. So from a basketball standpoint, I absolutely love this. What I don't agree with, though, is this notion that, oh, the Nets roster doesn't have enough players and therefore we need Kyrie back because of COVID protocols. Remember what we stressed earlier. It's easier now than ever to be in the, put, put, put in the protocols for two days and then immediately exit it. Like, Brooklyn's going to get all those guys back within the next couple days, bottom line, even after KD tested positive. But what do we do from this going forward? Kyrie's back. He's going to be in the fold moving forward. And... Um, we're going to have to see with Kyrie uh, if it can actually be a big name. And how does this work for Brooklyn? Because I've never seen this in NBA history where a player – like this team is going to have to play 
one way on the home front and one way on the road where at home they're not going to have Kyrie for games uh, and also against Toronto because Canada has this rule, I think, too. And then on the road, they're going to have Kyrie. So this is going to be interesting. Maybe at some point this makes Kyrie get the vaccine because maybe when the playoffs come and they have home games, like, think about it like that. Like, if Brooklyn's a first-round team, do they just not have their first two games in the playoffs without Kyrie Irving because he's not vaccinated? So crazy situation. Uh, I will tie this into this report that also came out that Kyrie, I believe, lost – both Kyrie and Ben Simmons lost at least $6 million in not playing games to start this year. One lost 7.5, one lost 6, but I'm blanking on who's is which. I won't say, I won't just throw one out there to a name. But uh, there was a crazy thing out there of like who would play a game first, Kyrie Irving or Ben Simmons. And surprisingly, it was Kyrie Irving. I actually thought Ben Simmons at some point would bite, but Daryl Morey staying strong in Philly and saying, hey, this kid's going to either freaking play or we're going to trade him for a behemoth of young players and draft picks and guys that can help us now to win a title. So, again, Kyrie Irving's coming back. We'll have to see him on the court very, very soon. First minutes all of the year probably will be in the new year. It, what's interesting, though, is that because he's unvaccinated, he's subject to different COVID protocols relative to the vaccinated players. So he has to test negative five times in a row. And... Even just being near anybody who has COVID, he has to quarantine. And if you recall, Kevin Durant just tested positive. And the day after we found that out, Kyrie Irving is now also in the NBA's health and safety protocols. We can move on to Klay Thompson. Reports are that he will most likely not return to any games in December, but they are targeting an early week in January for Klay Thompson's return to the Golden State Warriors. We've talked about this before real quick, but... Golden State's been absolutely amazing, and now they're going to add Klay Thompson back. I'm interested to see how they integrate Klay Thompson into the system. We've seen how guys like Steph, Draymond, and Iguodala, just having competent players around them, are playing like the Golden State of old in 2015, 16, 17. I want to see how Klay shakes things up, because what's nice about Golden State is that they have a lot of depth. There's no need to rush Klay Thompson back. I would argue that now that they're on this little win streak, where they've been easily one of the best teams in the entire NBA and arguably the best in the Western Conference, they can throw their foot off the gas a tad bit if it, and sacrifice a couple wins if it means getting Klay Thompson back in the long term for the playoffs because Klay Thompson fills a big need. They didn't really have a versatile two-way defender. They got Klay Thompson back for that. Klay Thompson is just more prone than anybody on this team, minus Curry, to get hot from three. And I guess Jordan Poole, but Jordan Poole gets cold, cold. Like, Klay just being on the court similar to Steph scares the shit out of teams. So, again, we'll have to see how this affects Golden State moving forward. And more importantly, how Klay Thompson looks. This guy blew out his Achilles and his ACL and has not played a game since uh, game six of the 2019, or pardon me, 2020 no, 2019 NBA Finals. Wow, time flies when the NBA is having fun and dealing with a lot of stuff. So, yeah, bottom line, we'll have to see all that. That's all of the news bits. One last real quick note. We're gonna have to, I'm really interested to see how this rest of the season plays out because what I'm liking about it is that stuff is starting to normalize a bit, uh, minus Cleveland and Memphis being really this freaking good. But, you know, the, the hot starts from the Wizards and the Bulls starting to cool off. The Knicks, the hype around them has died down a bit, thank goodness. Teams like Philadelphia and Atlanta and Miami in, in the East. Uh, teams like Dallas and among others in the West. They're trying to, you know, stay in the pack. So I'm looking for two things. Number one is that how do the tiers end up changing? 
especially in that middle group of like the four through 10 seeds in both conferences, like where do they end up moving forward? Is there going to be some separation? And then, of course, as we head into the all-star break and the trade deadline, what's going to be happening around the league uh, transaction-wise. And then my personal favorite thing ever besides the MVP bout is figuring out who's an all-star this year because there's a lot of good candidates, including the constant debate about are there any newbies that should be put in there at the expense of established veterans who have been in the league for a long time. With that said, an end of another big NBA news pod here. More on the way coming. As you can see, a lot of NBA news is happening. We're going to have guests returning on next week to talk about all of these breaking headlines, talk about a lot of these teams and players that we just mentioned. But I am going to conclude this pod right here. Thank you guys so much yet again for listening. And we will have more episodes on the way moving forward. Have a great rest of your day.